talks on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm your instructor, David O. Gray, Master of Arts in Theology, and we begin. In on apaches, et filio, et spiritu sancti. In this talk, I'll be highlighting Part 2, Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church, Article 7, The Sacraments of Holy Matrimony. Starting in paragraph 1601 and going all the way to paragraph 1666. I'll connect the sacraments of holy matrimony with the themes we have been repeating, such as how the sacrament relates to our capacity with God, how it relates to the economy of salvation, and how the sacraments of holy matrimony participates in what the church calls the sacraments at the service of communion. Recall again that in context of the Nicaea-Constantinople Creed, when it comes to the theology of the sacraments, we are still in the final stanza of the creed concerning the life and works of the Holy Spirit. Of all the sacraments, the sacraments of holy matrimony is the most unique of the seven sacraments in five ways. First, the sacrament of holy matrimony is the only sacrament that takes two persons of two different flesh and indissolubly makes them one through their free assent to the sacrament. This is distinct from all the other sacraments and the other sacrament that serves as a communion, the sacrament of holy orders, which only configures the priest to Christ Jesus, the high priest, but does not, does not make the two one. In this way, when the two become one through the sacrament of holy matrimony, marital capacity for God is doubled. In this way, the sacrament of holy matrimony is the only indissoluble sacrament that is permanent without an indelible spiritual character mark or a permanent mark on the soul, such as baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. As paragraph 1640 of the Catechism Catholic Church teaches, thus the marriage bond has been established by God himself in such a way that marriage concluded and consummated between baptized persons can never be dissolved. This bond, which results from the free human act of the spouses and their consummation of the marriage, is a reality henceforth irrevocable and gives rise to a covenant guaranteed by God's fidelity. The church does not have the power to contravene this disposition of divine wisdom. Because in the other indissoluble sacraments and the three other sacraments, notice that the minister of the sacrament is either a priest or a bishop, except baptism in a case of emergency. This is done so that it is a person who is ordained in the priesthood of God. This is done to offer us a sign that the sacrament is a gift from God. But in the case of the sacraments of holy matrimony, it is the only sacrament where the ministers or the persons benefiting from the gift of the sacraments. In this way, the man and the woman freely offer themselves as a sign 
that the sacrament is a gift from God. The sacrament of holy matrimony is the only sacrament that creates a church. While the sacraments of initiation unite the baptized with Christ and his church, the sacraments of healing order the baptized to a life in union with Christ and his church. And the sacraments of holy orders ordains the priest for service to the church. The sacrament of holy matrimony is unique in its way, as paragraph 1666 states. The Christian home is the place where children first receive the first proclamation of the faith. For this reason, the family home is rightly called the domestic church and community of grace and prayer, a school of human virtues and Christian charity. And fifth, the sacrament of holy matrimony is the only sacrament that is attached to a commandment from the Decalogue, where the fourth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. With the blessing of being able to enjoy longevity and the promises of God, for children to obey the teachings of their parents and the blessings that come from being a family with the eternal family of God, the Christian family enjoys the grace of a double blessing and a desire to impress upon the indissoluble dimension of marriage and why it is essential for the well-being and the continuation of humanity. The first thing the Catechism Catholic Church wants us to know about the sacrament of holy matrimony is that it is a covenant. Saying in paragraph 1601, the matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life, is by its nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament covenant is a very implicative way to describe holy matrimony as being sacrificial. When we consider all of the cooperative covenants or solemn agreements that God made with his people throughout salvation history, we only have two types. Covenants sealed with either a blood sacrifice or a non-animal sacrifice, but always a sacrifice. Examples of covenants that God made with men that they sealed with blood include Noah's burnt offerings of every clean animal and bird to God as a sacrifice. Abraham offered a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon as a sacrifice. Moses sprinkled the blood of oxen on the altar and the people as a sacrifice, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you 
in accordance with all these words. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings to God as a sacrifice and blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Three examples of when God made a covenant with man in return, they offered up a non-animal sacrifice include when God made a covenant with Paninius and his descendants, promising to give them a perpetual priesthood. Paninius gave his zeal for the Lord as a sign of the covenant. He did not offer an animal sacrifice, but he killed a man and a woman who were committing idolatry and immorality and stopped the plague among the Israelites. A second is when God made a covenant with the Levites, promising to give them the service of the tabernacle and the tithe of the people and gave their dedication to the Lord as a sign of this covenant. In response, the Levites did not offer an animal sacrifice, but they purified themselves and offered the Israelites a wave offering to the Lord. The third was when God made a covenant with the Rechabites, promising to give them a lasting family and gave their obedience to their ancestors' command as a sign of this covenant. Like Paninius, they did not offer an animal sacrifice, but they made sacrifices by drinking wine, building houses, sowing seeds, planting vineyards, and living in tents. In light of covenant being connected with a response of sacrifice throughout salvation history, what can we say about marriage being a covenant? Moreover, what sacrifices are the husband and the wife who are again, ministers of the sacrament, being called to sacrifice. Paragraph 1604 and 1605 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church begin unpacking this mystery, saying, Holy Scripture affirms that man and woman were created for one another. It is not good that man should be alone. The woman, flesh of his flesh, his equal, his nearest in all things, is given to him by God as a helpmate. She thus represents God from whom comes our help. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And this love, which God blesses, is intended to be fruitful and to be realized in the common work of watching over creation. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Therefore, we find the covenantal sacrifice in Adam's sacrifice of his rib. His entire body and life are ordered for their union and their betterment as a holy family. Paul affirms his bodily sacrifice of man in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 28. 
so also husbands should love their wives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Man has no choice but to love his wife as his own body because she is from him and his flesh is being made one with hers. For her part, the woman comes as help from God, as the first type of Christ. According to the second creation account, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. But the woman, the text says, the Lord God then built the rib that he had taken from the man into a woman and then brought her to man. Therefore, in Eve, we found someone who was fully human, fully from Adam, but sent from God to man, a type of Christ, and abnuptially given to him so that she might be his helpmate, that is, to make herself a type of sacrifice for his good. Paul affirms this as well when he calls the woman a type of church, saying, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath water of the word. The Hebrew word for helpmate in Genesis 2.18 is ezer, which means a help or helper. The word is also used in other parts of the Bible to describe how God helps those who call out to him, implying that a woman's help can be valuable and worthy. While sacred scripture never deviates from showing how God is a true source of our sacrificial help, the nuptial meaning does not translate well with Eve, who only harmed Adam. In all the creation, she is the worst mother, not a helper, but a hinderer. However, the Blessed Mother Mary, Mother of God and Mother of Church, in her we find our sacrificial help par excellence. In Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit, sacrificial help is perfected through the sacraments, which he won for us through the sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, in Christ and his church, we have all the help we need. And those who have been called to the sacraments of holy matrimony have an Imago Dei like themselves, filled with the Imago Dei and the Holy Spirit, who will be their sacrificial help in this life. And someone to share in a joint mission with Christ Jesus to raise their children in the faith so that they too can grow in the Imago Dei. Christian marriage is the perfection of our first parents' gift because now Christ Jesus is the source of the grace of marriage. As such, paragraph 1654 explains it in this way. By the reason of their state in life and of their order, Christian spouses have their own special gifts in the people of God. This grace 
proper to the sacraments of holy matrimony is intended to perfect the couple's love and to strengthen their indissoluble unity. By this grace, they help one another to attain holiness in their married life and in welcoming and educating their children. As with all the sacraments of the church, holy matrimony is given to us as a gift to promote our cause of sainthood and the cause of sainthood in each other. In the case of holy matrimony in particular, the cause of sainthood for our spouse and our children. In fact, in every functioning economy, some people are laboring for the benefits of others to benefit from. Labor is geared towards helping other people in some way. It could be for personal growth, enjoyment, or sustaining their life in some way, such as laboring to produce food or laboring to help them have money to purchase food. In contrast, imagine an economy where Either no one benefits from our labor or an economy where there are people who can benefit from our labor, but there is no one to labor. In the economy of salvation, this dilemma is resolved through conjugal love between spouses, which is a labor that leads to more labor. Conjugal love, which is itself a labor, albeit an enjoyable labor, naturally leads to the birthing process, which we call maternal labor. And after the child is born, the parents labor to educate them. Paragraphs 1652 and 1653 speak of the labor of conjugal love and the labor of parenting in this way, saying, by its very nature, the institution of marriage and married love is ordered to the procreation and education of the offspring, and it is in them that it finds its crowning glory. The fruitfulness of conjugal love extends to the fruits of the moral, spiritual, and supernatural life that parents hand on to their children by education. Parents are the principal and first educators of their children. In this sense, the fundamental task of marriage and family is to be at the service of life. From Gaudium Espes, the Catechism adds, Children are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves God himself said, It is not good that man should be alone. And from the beginning he made them male and female, wishing to associate them in a special way with his own creative work. God bless man and woman with the words, Be fruitful and multiply. Hence, true Mary love and a whole structure of family life that results from it without diminishment of the other ends of marriage 
are directed to disposing the spouses to cooperate violently with the love of the Creator and Savior, who through them will increase and enrich his family from day to day. While conjugal love is the only naturally way to produce children as the fruits of their marriage, even spouses to whom God has not given natural children, the church teaches, their marriage can radiate to fruitfulness of charity, of hospitality, and of sacrifice. So, the married spouses always have double the capacity to share the Imago Day, even if it is not with their biological children. They must still seek opportunities to communicate through conjugal love and find ways to share the capacity they have to love, um, of hospitality, and sacrifice that they have been given. Or, their marriage is a mere labor of self-indulgence. When it comes to the fidelity of conjugal love, we begin with the fact that in holy matrimony, the two become one. And because they have become one, they are inseparable unto death. The union is indissoluble until death does them apart. Therefore, there is no space for a third in a union of two flesh that become one. Moreover, because a husband is a type of Christ and the wife is a type of church, a man cannot have more than one wife, then Christ could have multiple bodies. And a woman cannot have more than one husband, then the body of Christ could have multiple Christ. Instead, we believe in one Christ and one church that is in complete union with each other. So too do we believe holy matrimony follows this same model. In paragraph 1645, the church explains merits of fidelity in this way. The unity of marriage, distinctly recognized by our Lord, is made clear in the equal personal dignity which must be accorded to man and wife in mutual and unreserved affection. Polygamy is contrary to conjugal love, which is undivided and exclusive. Although there are historical examples of marital polygamy in the Old Testament, as well as the cultural normalcy of divorce, the image of true marriage had always been communicated in relationship between God and Israel. They were his one people, and he never abandoned them and was always faithful to them. Even a command to have no God other than him was an invitation to monogamous relationship. Paragraph 1611 of the Catechism Catholic Church explains God's anagogical method of leading us back to the original truth of man cleaving to his wife, who was created for him in this way. 
seeing God's covenant with Israel in an image of exclusive and faithful married love, the prophets prepared the chosen people's conscience for a deepened understanding of unity and indissolubility of marriage. The books of Ruth and Tobit bear moving witness to an elevated sense of marriage and a fidelity and tenderness of spouses. I find it to be remarkably beautiful how the Catholic Church unites the call to Christian marriage with the call to Christ-centered virginity. Writing in paragraph 1620, both the sacraments of matrimony and virginity for the kingdom of God come from the Lord himself. It is he who gives the meaning and grants them grace, which is indispensable for living them out in conformity with his will. Esteem of virginity for the sake of the kingdom and the Christian understanding of marriage are inseparable and they reinforce each other. So Christ has given us two options for nuptial bond, one sacramental and one non-sacramental. The sacramental nuptials for men and women where two become one flesh and double their capacity to grow the fruit that their marital bond will produce. The non-sacramental nuptial is described in paragraph 1618 as men and women who have renounced the great good of marriage to follow the lamb wherever he goes, to be intent on things of the Lord, to seek to please him, and to go out to meet the bridegroom who is coming. Not many are called to this type of virginity because the Economy of salvation depends on their people being in an economy to labor in a field of procreation. But for those who are not called to that type of labor, the church asks them to follow the lamb wherever he goes. Concerning mixed marriages and the disparity of cults, the Catechism of Catholic Church teaches in paragraph 1633 to 1637 that such marriages require special attention and permission from ecclesiastical authorities and, and that the spouses should respect each other's faith and ensure the Catholic education of their children. It also encourages ecumenical dialogue and the possibility of conversion of the non-Catholic spouse through the witness of the Catholic spouse. Because the sacrament of marriage blesses the couple with grace united by their flesh, the unbelieving spouse is consecrated through the faith of the Catholic spouse. That same grace that joined them in the flesh is sufficient to unite them in the true faith if the Catholic spouse remains all an authentic witness to the Catholic religion and is humble, patient, and persevering in prayer for their salvation. 
in our subsequent encounter, I look forward to sharing the Catholic Church's teaching on other liturgical celebrations with you. Thank you for listening.